0: right everyone thank you for joining us for another episode of thought and action this is market musings and i have the great scott poor with us uh, chief investment officer for eudaimonia group love having you on every other week scott to tell us why the market's doing what it's doing and tell us what it's going to do and i got to give you credit because you did say last time we talked that you know low volume things are looking really good don't be surprised if we see a pullback and here we are Two weeks later, you've seen the pullback and then you've seen it somewhat recover. So um, let's get into it. You know, tell us what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks.
1: <laughs> well, you know, they always say to, to know where you're going, you got to know where you came from. And so if you look at last week, we, we got that news item because we were in these summer doldrums. where We have lower volatility uh, and lower volumes. And all of a sudden we got that news item that the Fed had changed their projections. And that was huge because what the Fed was basically saying was that we're increasing our expectations for for growth, economic growth, which is good. Um, we're incre we're lowering our expectations for unemployment. That's also good. Uh, mixed in there, they said, you know, inflation is going to be higher at least initially this year, and then you know, slow down a little bit in twenty two. Uh, 2022 and 2023. But the biggest thing that they said was they expect two rate hikes in 2023. Well, that sent the markets in a tizzy um, because basically they had said they were going to delay all rate hikes till 2024. Now, the big question becomes, why do they feel like they need to raise rates uh, twice in 2023? Um, And, you know, the, the bottom line is that most investors need to realize that things are getting better. We don't need to rely on the Fed as much in terms of liquidity. So it's natural for them to start pulling back on liquidity. And at some point, they're going to have to raise interest rates if things heat up. Uh, but, but the second thing that's involved in that I think is inflation. Inflation is the big worry. So, for example, there are some areas that we think will begin to uh, recede a little bit in terms of inflation. Right now, used cars are just skyrocketing, the value of used cars. Why is that happening? Well, because you've got supply chains. You've got fewer chips that are available for brand new cars. Therefore, if you've got a used car that's one or two years old, it's worth more than a car coming off the lot right now. Um, however, we did get some news this week that there's, uh, there's some projections from the auto industry that supply will increase. So we're starting to see some, some, uh, some loosening up of the supply chain where we think that when it comes to at least chips, Uh, that we're going to start to get more and more products coming through, which will help meet demand, that should ease inflation a little bit. And and we've disagreed from the beginning calling inflation transitory because we don't believe it's transitory. We do believe that it may decrease a little bit as the supply chain catches up to demand. However, uh, if you think about other areas of the market like labor, um, we've seen a huge increase in, um, in wages. Well, just because the supply chain catches up, those wages aren't just going to go down (laughs) wages will go down when we hit the next recession so some of these things will remain in the market and will keep inflation higher uh as we go on so we may see that little bit of of of, uh, decline in inflation but then it'll take back off again probably sometime around early next year
0: so explain that further so you you, a lot of people are super i mean they they're in one or two camps and it sounds like you're in this almost this third camp where either it's transitory and it's going to go right back to the way it was in you know 2019, 2020, like it's, we're we're not going to really feel any. You go to the store and wow, things are more expensive. Some people are in that camp. Other people are in this camp that we're going to be Venezuela and have this hyperinflation. It's going to go crazy. And you're kind of in this camp where it's going to be in the middle. It's appropriate, almost like I would call like appropriate inflation. Is that what you're saying? It,
1: it, it will be appropriate initially, but but I do agree when you think about. Um, the Fed having to raise rates. At some point, they're going to have to raise rates because inflation will increase. If you think about the last 20 years, inflation has been relatively benign. It's averaged about 2.1%. You look at the long-term average, and it's 3.5%. But it, but if you break those down into different areas, you know we went through uh, the financial crisis in 2008, and since then, inflation has been very benign. If you look at the period before the last 20 years, inflation was much higher And so you've got these two camps of, hey, inflation is going to go back to normal, or we're going to get into the inflation of the the late 1970s, which I think inflation peaked out at 13% or somewhere around there. So uh, we're not calling for that 13% kind of scenario because there was a conflation of events that happened that really caused that. Um, Things are a little bit different now. So, again, we're not saying that it's impossible for us to go that high. We just think that the Fed will manage that a little bit better. And we've got different uh, dynamics in the economy. It's a more global economy now than it was uh, back in the late late 70s. And so, you know, I, I think there is this third camp where we do see inflation go down a little bit, especially as supply chain catches up, but then it takes back off again. And that's just a matter of growth. If you think about inflation, it's the speed of money. How fast is money moving in the economy? And with all this pent up demand from the pandemic, and then the pandemic ending and things reopening it's natural to have a, a higher circulation or a faster circulation
0: so that being the case and you you're almost saying it's going to get back to this normal of say three and a half four percent inflation which is historically normal higher than what we have been accustomed to for the last 20 years but normal um where do you kind of see inflation kind of falling you know do you see it kind of ending up at like say around four or five do you see it going up to a double digit where do you kind of see it falling At the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I I I wouldn't say that we would get double digits depending on how the Fed uh, manages things uh, and depending upon how fast and how far the demand goes. Um, We could have a a huge spike in demand and still have a very slow growing labor market and a very slow growing um, economic backdrop so that inflation could uh, get to those higher single digits. Uh, I, don't, I don't see it going quite that high, but there's a scenario where we can get to 6 7% inflation. Um, I think that until we get to that 4 or 5% level, um, inflation is a good thing. Once you get beyond that 4 and 5%, it starts to erode your returns. It starts to erode your earning power. Uh, and so once you get to those higher single digits, that's when it becomes a problem, uh, which could lead to the next recession. Um, but, you know, three and a half to, to four and a half percent. I mean, inflation is a good thing because that means the economy is moving at a steady pace.
0: I like that you have you thrown. I was going to ask you, you know, what's the good news? Because I think a lot of times people hear inflation and they immediately get fearful. But I think to your point, there are some good pieces. Can you just kind of round out the thought of well, you know, what are the good things about inflation? You're saying that means the economy is growing, but parse that out a little bit. So when people hear, hey, there's going to be higher inflation, but it, here are the positives that come with that.
1: Yeah, you know, when you've got a labor market where we're fully employed, there aren't as many jobs available and you've got high inflation, that's a problem because that means that wages are not continuing to rise. There's fewer jobs to fill and there's there's less bodies to, to fill those jobs. Here, we've got a scenario where there's tons of open jobs, 9.1, 9.2 million uh, job openings, um, plenty of areas for you to go out there and get a job which means that all these employers want to bring people in. They're willing to pay a premium to bring you in to work for their company, which means wages will continue to rise. As long as wages rise with inflation, then it's an offset. Uh, When you get into those situations where you're basically fully employed as an economy, you've got sub-5% unemployment, Um, then all of a sudden you've got a situation where you don't have uh, uh, employers clamoring for you to come in and they're not really willing to pay you as, as much or to pay you more uh, to come in and work, then all of a sudden, as inflation keeps rising, your, your wages are stagnant or, or actually declining. That's when you get into recessions or bubbles. So, you know, right now, until we get to that scenario, we've got a long way to go before we're fully employed. And I think that's what the Fed's been signaling is that, you know, yes, yes, we're still improving. We've got a long way to go. Um, but a- as we keep going, um, we've got plenty of more jobs to fill, and as long as that scenario is there, uh, inflation isn't as big of a concern as it would be if we were fully. Deployed. And you know that kind of leads us to you know where do we go uh, from here? And and I think it's appropriate for you to think about inflation eroding returns. You can't just hold cash. Uh, you've got to invest. You've got to have a reasonable investment strategy, which you know is probably the next conversation we need to have.
0: Exactly. And I think it's, it's so interesting. I remember teaching this class at UCLA, I don't know, 10 plus years ago about just investing in general. And you ask people like, why do you invest? And then everyone's always like, I want to make money and everyone wants to make money. But really I was like, you know, the big, the big kind of boogeyman that everyone has is inflation because everything's going to cost more. And if you don't make money, you are, you know, you're, 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 you're behind the a ball. And it and it compounds. So if you're if you're consistently in fear and you're sitting in cash, like yeah, you have a dollar and it stays a dollar, but that dollar is worth say ninety seven cents. Then it's worth ninety two cents. Then it's worth you know eighty nine cents. All of a sudden, your your money is not worth what you thought it was. Um, so it is it is a kind of a headwind that we need to be very conscious of. Um, before we talk about kind of the the opportunities and things like that, I want to ask you, you know, how does the the potential of an infrastructure bill, or you know any kind of more stimulus. Like, do you think it's necessary? And I know you're not. I know you're not a politician, but do you think these things will happen? And if so, what what impact is that going to have on the market?
1: Yeah. So you've got an interesting dynamic going on right now. You've got folks in the Democrat Party, and I say this because the Democrats basically control all three. Uh, uh, they got the House, they've got the, the White House, they've got the Senate you've got these groups inside the Democrat Party that really are moving a little bit more centrist. They're not following in line with some of the more um, uh, far-left groups inside the Democrat Party. So it's keeping the Democrats from, uh, uh, you know, uh, getting some of these things they want to get pushed through Congress, and you've got, you know, several folks that are not willing to uh, budge on the filibuster, which is preventing them from pushing some of these more leftist uh, ideas through the Congress. So it's really going to become down to a negotiating tactic. Are they going to be able to negotiate with the other side to get enough votes to push some of these things through? And I think what that does in any scenario, regardless of whether you're on the right side or the left side of the aisle, in any scenario, it brings about compromise. At some point, you've got to have compromise. If you're, if you're a married person, you know that <laughs> marriages don't work one way. It's got to be a compromise between two people. And so, what I think we'll see is some type of infrastructure bill. Uh, but what we saw in the first pass was an infrastructure bill that didn't make any sense. All these pet projects that were thrown in that were beca- being called infrastructure that really weren't infrastructure. So, yes, there. You know, I, I live here in Memphis. We've got a problem with our bridge that goes across the river from uh, Memphis to Arkansas, and it's a major uh, thorough uh, way for all the shipments that are going through on semis. And there's a crack. In. And we we need infrastructure. Uh, If you've been driving on the roads, you know that uh, there are roads that need to be fixed. So there are problems we need to address. But in my opinion, we don't need to just throw a bunch of money into the market. We've got plenty of liquidity in the market. Um, If we were to start throwing money at pet projects, uh, I think that eventually that begins to erode our dollar. And I think it also uh, adds to the inflationary issues that we've got going on. We, We do need infrastructure, but it needs to be done in the right way. So until they, uh, the two parties or even the Democrat party itself learns how to figure out a way to compromise and, and uh, you know, lower expectations, but get the, the necessary items that you want, you know, we're kind of in this stalemate.
0: Excellent. So, I mean, it was a really good kind of overview of everything. I think when, it, especially when it comes to these bills and what kind of impact they're going to have and then a necessity, and then hopefully, you know, we do see a little bit of compromise and something that makes sense. Cause I do think it would help if done the right way, kind of stabilize some of these inflation things, you know, bring home, I would say maybe some jobs that really do raise wages in the right way. And it could be, it could be a real positive, I think, if it's done the right way. Um, take me through kind of your opportunities. I know you said a couple of weeks ago, I kind of dollar cost average in, we did have a little bit of a dip um, opportunity to buy in. Do you see any more dips like that coming? Are we still in the doldrums or... Where do you see the opportunities, and what do you see the outlook for the next couple of weeks here in the summer?
1: Yeah, so the, the good news is that the dips that we've seen have been very measured and have been very methodical. When you, if you, if you kind of chart the S and P for the last, say, twelve months, um, there's a, a, a number that I look at, which is the fifty-day moving average and the two hundred-day moving average. Those kind of give you ideas about buying opportunities. And what you've seen really for the last 12 months is the S&P, when it does dip down, it hits that 50-day moving average and then pops off of it and, and heads higher. And so it's not making a straight line. It's, it's, it's making these methodical moves, which is, is very organized. And that tells us that um, we're not in the, the 2000s where everything was going straight up and there, and there was no downside at all. Um, so the, these moves that we're seeing are very methodical. So I think that 50-day moving average is a good way to look at the market. When it dips down or gets just below there, that could be a buying opportunity uh, to step in and, uh, and, and buy equities. And that kind of leads us to, you know, what are the opportunities? You know, one of the biggest opportunities is equities in general because that's your biggest hedge, long-term hedge against inflation. Uh, if you look at the last 20 years we talked about this, inflation has averaged about 2.1%. Equities over that time period, if you kind of use the S and P as a benchmark, uh, have averaged seven and a half percent. So, yes, inflation has eroded your returns a little bit, but you've got plenty of excess return there. Versus, if you look at cash, again, inflation has averaged two point one percent the last twenty years. Cash has only averaged one point four percent. So, that's not a good asset class to leave a lot of your assets in unless you've got a specific liquidity. And then you look at bonds, compare bonds to inflation. Bonds have averaged 4.8%. That's a total return number versus 2.1% for inflation. So, inflation's cut off almost half your returns for bonds. So, really, equities is your best long term hedge against inflation. And then, depending on your risk tolerance, you can look at kind of a 60 40 mix, which is kind of the the recommendation we have for most uh, investors that are nearing retirement or in retirement. 60% 60% equity, 40% bonds as average 6.4%. So again, giving you a good amount of excess return over inflation. And that's probably where we're going to start to see you know, some of these changes is that the boomers have probably you know, fled to uh, fixed income as they've begun to retire. They're probably going to have to think about being just a little bit more aggressive in adopting that 60-40 mix to stay ahead of inflation over the next 10 to 15 years.
0: So I got to ask you, because you opened up the can of worms, when it comes to bonds, and, and I know we could probably have a whole episode on how to manage bonds, um, but just talk to me a little bit about potentially rising rates, owning bonds. You know, in a year where the Barclays Ag had a negative, it's been negative a couple times, dipped into negative territory, the headwinds that bonds are facing and kind of just strategically kind of high level How do you how do you engage in putting your money into a bond portfolio without you know like I'm almost hamstringing yourself against this you know inflationary curve and this you know potentially rising rates?
1: Yeah, I think that what you need to do is you need to think outside the box a little bit. So, for example, if you're looking at uh, a a diversified bond portfolio, you want to include some asset classes that don't have as high of a correlation to the ten-year treasury as the 10-year treasury rate continues to rise, bond values will drop. And so you want those asset classes like convertibles, uh, floating rate or bank loan, uh, high yield debt. Um, You want those asset classes that don't have as high of a correlation to traditional fixed and maybe have a little bit higher correlation to equity Uh, because those asset classes will see some higher appreciation and won't see the devaluation that a typical corporate or government bond fund will. Um, So you need to kind of think outside the box. We're not saying that you put all of your assets there, but maybe with your, you know, traditional intermediate bond uh, portfolio, you add in some of those convertibles, you know, floating rate because they have a negative correlation to the 10-year treasury. And that diversified mix should help you weather the storm as yields continue
0: rising. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's very, it's very important when people think about bonds. It's not like set it and forget it anymore. You got to you got to be somewhat nimble. You got to have some kind of strategy um, so that it's it it does complement your equity piece. Um, But if someone's listening and they don't know what a convertible is or they don't know what a, you know, uh, you know, high yield or bank loans are. I mean, I think it it behooves them to learn or ask, you know, their advisor, what is that? Um, Because those are areas, I think, to your point can be extremely valuable from a total return standpoint, from an income generation standpoint. could can really add a nice, a nice sleeve to bonds because there's – do you know how many subsets of asset classes there are? Is like 25 subsets of bonds.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and even more on the equity side. So, you know, that, that brings up the importance of working with an advisor. Um, it, two things. A, when you kind of navigate these types of waters where everybody's talking about inflation and everybody's fearful – of a 1970s kind of scenario that's why you have an advisor to help you walk through okay here's what's really going on and then because there are so many choices out there on the investment spectrum working with an advisor can help you navigate some of those asset classes that you need exposure to and some that you don't
0: we're not even going to talk about alternatives we'll leave that for another time (laughs) oh yeah well thank you scott before we go wealth protection signal take me through where that's at i'd love to end the episode with it so people know kind of you know, that's kind of our line in the sand. If they want to listen to all these, see what's going on.
1: Yeah. So you know, we did see a little spike on the VIX last week as we had this taper tantrum 2.0, if you want to call it that. Um, so the the indicator actually did spike about 11% on Friday of last week because we got that big sell off, and then Monday reversed. You know, Monday we got most of those losses back uh, in the market. So we saw the VIX settle down. The, the test spread really didn't move that much last week and through this week. So it's been pretty stable. You know, the TED spread is kind of that fear element. When people get fearful, when investors get fearful, they leave uh, risky assets and go to risk-free assets. And that's when that TED spread spikes. That actually was fairly calm last week. It was really just the vix. we saw some volatility as markets sold off on Thursday and Friday and then rebounded on on Monday at, at this week. So we've seen the, the indicators settle down a little bit, the, the signals still... Very low at, at 13.2, I think. Uh, so would have to increase more than 200% to trigger the first uh, cash raise event. So again, stay invested. We're going to get these little periods where because we're in the summer doldrums, a, a news item may cause the market to sell off a little bit, 1%, 2%. I think that's very normal. Uh, and again, fairly methodical. So no reason to sell out. It's probably more of a buying opportunity at this point. As long as it doesn't proceed below that 50 day moving average, step in, you know, buy some things when it when they get a little cheaper and and, uh, you know, watch them steadily grow over the next uh, several months.
0: Well, thank you, Scott, as always. Super informative. Um, Appreciate all you do and uh, look forward to talking to you soon.